Today you've been challenged already in this service to stop for a moment and to let God speak to you through the songs, through the, through the Word of God. We've been encouraged just to be quiet for a few moments and to let God speak to us. We've heard about being a happy day because of, of Jesus taking our sins away. In the first song, we finished off with singing, God, you are a good, good Father. I believe it's critically important when we come to church to allow God opportunity, not just to, to go through the motions of church and to, to spend your hour and 15 minutes or hour and 20 minutes here at church and then think that you, we've done something here. I believe that we are called to live a different life. And that's what we're going to be speaking about today with a man, as our illustration, a man named Noah. If you have your Bibles... You can go ahead and turn to the very first book of the Bible, a, a book of the Bible called Genesis, and go to chapter number 6. We're going to be there in a few minutes' time. And thinking of the man Noah and living a different life, do you yourself ever feel really alone? Do you feel like no one else understands what I'm feeling right now. No one hurts the way that I am hurting right now. No one is suffering like I am suffering right now. And now rationally, we know that we're not the only ones. We know there's a whole lot of hurt. But when you're in the middle of hurt, when you're in the middle of pain, when business isn't going well, when your health is scary, when the various things that happen in your life and people have left you or you've been hurt by others and you feel like at the moment, and then the bottom moment, you feel like no one understands what I'm feeling. No one knows what I am going through. Now, rationally, we know that other people suffer, but when you're in the middle of that, it hurts, doesn't it? Today, I hope that you have a bulletin. If not, just outside the doors, there are some bulletins. You can grab it. You can follow along with the message today. Because I want to challenge all of us today that we can not just learn from a story that happened literally thousands of years ago, but God is working in a similar way with His favor today and His protection upon you and I today. And the same God that saved Noah and his family, the same God as we'll look at a man named David, King David, um, a couple thousand years ago when all his enemies were around him, protected him, is the same God that loves you. And that's a hard thing to rationalize. We read our Bibles and we look at that and we go, well, yes, but that was back then. But what have you done for me lately, God? And we need to take comfort in the fact that the same God that worked way back then is the same God that loves you and I today, that has a plan and purpose for way back then, has a plan and purpose for you and I today. The whole theme of this series is discover God's plan. And I believe that begins with understanding grace. And as we walk through these Old Testament accounts of things that really happened thousands of years ago, we can take comfort in the fact that same God is the God that loves and cares for me today. And that same grace of God, the picture and the pointing to Jesus Christ, when He came and died on the cross, we look back and we say, thank you God for what you've done back there. And I pray that through understanding of a, a, a good understanding of biblical grace, we can take that 
and look back on times of our life when we've also experienced grace, and we can say, God, you took care of me personally back there. I know that you will continue to take care of me in the future moving forward in the scary things that you have for me, not just today, but tomorrow in the future. Our principle for today is this. When I live for God, I can trust in His protection. When I live for God, I can trust in His protection. Every person here today can live under the protection of God by simply walking with God. That is, living with Him. A daily walk with Him. Your relationship with God through Jesus Christ was not just something that you did way back when, and now it's, okay, now what have you done for me lately? God is continuing to walk with us every step of the way through our lives. There's a statement I want you to think through, and it's not a statement that I've made up. It says this, The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. And that's, I didn't make that up. If I did, I would like, I'd write a book. But to, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. And I want you to stop and think about that for a moment. Earlier, I challenged you to begin praying and say, God, what do you have for me to do in regards to world missions? How do you want me to financially be a part of it? I believe the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. You know, different times and through God working in your heart, you may have been prompted to do various things that have seemed really, really scary. And you say, God, I can't do that. And God says, I know you can't, but when you walk with me together, we can accomplish great things. The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Tomorrow, when some of you go to school, others of you go to work, others of you don't do anything, it's a joke. When you get up every day and you do what the things that you do, there's going to be challenges where you go tomorrow. There's going to be opportunities to be in the center of God's will tomorrow when you go to work. And there's also going to be these opportunities when you go to school, teenager or young person, and there's going to be opportunities to do right and to do wrong. There's, I believe the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. This morning, we're going to look at two different passages. One from the book of Psalm, Psalm 25, and we're going to use the account of a man named David, King David, who had enemies all around him. And through this psalm, a psalm is simply a song. Basically, the book of Psalms in the Bible, if you have your Bible, a little practical thing, right in the center of your Bible is generally the book of Psalms. If you open it right in the center, that's generally or most often the book of Psalms right in the middle. And David was a man that loved God, he served God, but he had hard problems. Enemies were all around him constantly. And we're going to read some accounts of what David said in that psalm. We're also going to look at Genesis chapters number 6, 7, 8, and 9. And believe me, we're not going to read them all. And we're just going to scratch the surface of the account of Noah and what God did in his life. And through that, we're going to take some application for our lives and how we can practically walk with Him because hard times in your lives will come. Everything will not be happy and rosy all the time. And if you prepare yourself in the seemingly good times, the, the bad times will just flow through. We can relate, though, to the times of Noah. Let's think about Noah for a few moments. Bible historians estimate the earth 
from Adam and Eve being, and being created to Noah coming along is about 1,600 years. So 1,600 years after mankind was created, they've been living on earth, we've been going forth and multiplying like the Scripture told them to, and there was thousands and hundreds of thousands of people living on earth, and there was a great deal of sinfulness taking place in the world. In fact, Jesus himself makes reference to the days of Noah being like the end times. If you read the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, it talks about Jesus Christ coming back again. And Jesus makes reference to it in Matthew chapter number 24. And he says this, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, the, the coming of, of the Messiah back. Jesus Christ coming back to earth. For in those days before the flood, there were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. That's Jesus' words. And Jesus is saying people were relaxed. They were marrying. They were giving marriage. In other words, they were free. They could, you know, I could be with this person. I can go be with this person. I don't like you anymore, so I'll go be with this person. And you see this in our society, particularly if, if you look at the amplified world of Hollywood. And I think the world of Hollywood is just normal life times 50. And but we look at that, and that's the seemingly norm of our society. And we look at, uh, look at the days of Noah when we look in a few moments, how it's corrupt, exceedingly wicked. So let's learn from the account of Noah. I have three different points and then a bunch of subpoints underneath. Let's walk through these together. The first one is this: Help comes from God. You need help in your life. Help comes from God. David understood this. In the beginning of Psalm 25, he was a man that was overwhelmed with, with uncertainty. He had a great deal of enemies around him. He says this in Psalm 25, verses 1 through 3. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. In difficult times, we need to turn to God, the creator of the universe. In easy times, it's easy to become self-reliant. When everything goes well, we get back and we think, well, I can handle this on my own. I don't need to do the normal things that, that I'm, I'm often challenged to. It's in the difficult times when we find our character and find where we really need to rely. In the days of Noah, we see a corrupt world. Go back to Genesis chapter number 6, verses 5 and verse 11. This is God looking upon the earth. And he says this, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. That's in a horrible indictment. Everything that was in the mind of man at the time was evil. You ever, you know, when you go to work, and you go to work, and you're around people that have filthy minds. You say something quite innocently, and it gets twisted and perverted into something that is filthy. And you go, well, that's not what I was saying. And they go, oh, I know what you're talking about. Or the filthy jokes that go around, and it's not just men that have filthy jokes. 
And you look at this, and that's just, you look at society as a whole, and everything in our society has a way of being twisted into becoming something dirty. You imagine back in the days of Noah, when God said every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, if that was someone's impression of it, you can say, well, they're being a little bit extreme, except it's God who makes that, that indictment there. Verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. You contrast that back to the creation of the world in, in Genesis 1, verse 31. God looked upon everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. 1,600 years later, and five chapters later in the Bible, now we have him saying everything in the heart of mankind is evil continually. It is corrupt. You compare that to our modern world and the wickedness of mankind, the filthy language and the, the, the evil thoughts that are brought forth in our, in our mind. And I'm going to make a statement here in just a few moments' time that I don't believe is a political statement. I believe is a moral statement. And in our world, and I want you to be aware, and I'm not going to, this whole message is not about safe schools. But I'm going to make a statement, and I believe it's a moral statement, not a political statement. Because a political statement is up to here or there. This is just right or wrong. 35 years ago, the gentleman whose picture is there, a man named Gary Dossett, wrote a, an article called Boiled Lollies and Band-Aids, Gay Men and, and Kids. That was 35 years ago. He was a school teacher at the time and worked his way through and became a university lecturer. And he's a, apparently in the Trobe University, a well-respected lecturer and professor. But I want you to be aware of the people and the things that are being brought forth as seemingly normal in our society and are being misconstrued as, as things that are safe. And this was 35 years ago, the gentleman made this statement in his article, and he's defended it since. He says this, A new political position is needed for there are significant political struggles at stake. First, we have three legal-slash-social questions to win. Notice, to win. It wasn't to make, it is to win these, these, these uh, questions. Custody rights for gay men and lesbians. The second is legal rights of pedophiles and their young lovers. I'm not going to go into detail there, but I want to say that one more time. Legal rights of pedophiles and their young lovers. And finally, the sexual rights of children as a whole. Our days are much like the days of Noah, where I believe our world is corrupt. But thank God there are people in our world that know Jesus Christ as their Savior that don't have to live that way. We don't have to live the way of corruption. We don't have to live the old way any longer. Because of Jesus Christ and His grace in our lives, we do not have to live that way. And I want to challenge you to become informed and not just to take my word for it, but do some research. And do some research and, and read about what's taking place in our world and our society in the, in the state in the, in the scope of morality and what is right and what is wrong so that you can make informed statements. So when somebody asks you what your opinion is, you don't just make some blanket statement like I think is wrong and they ask you the follow-up question, why? And you go, oh, I don't know. It's just because. That's not good enough 
you do some research, do some reading, become informed so that you can stand up for what is right when people ask you what is right or what is wrong. Our world is corrupt. But then in the, in the scope of that, there was righteous Noah. And that's a good news. It wasn't the everyone in the world. God found someone that was righteous. Through all the wicked perversion of mankind, there was Noah. Continue reading in Genesis 6, verses 8 and 9. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Blameless in his generation, Noah walked with God. The word righteous means to be in right standing, to have a right relationship with God. Everyone else in the world God called wicked and corrupt, and he found and he saw Noah, and it says there he was righteous. Righteousness did not come because Noah did good works. He was righteous before God, and therefore he did good works. You and I today, you don't earn your righteousness or right standing before God because of good works. It is the good work that was done for you by Jesus Christ on the cross that you are called righteous. In Galatians 6, I'm sorry, 2.16, it says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. He also says that he's blameless before others. He had a good reputation in the world. He had a good reputation in front of others. And God gives a response to mankind, and he looks at mankind, and to be perfectly honest, I don't understand the mind of God. I know that's probably a surprise to you. It certainly wasn't to my wife that you know, I don't know everything. With God here, we just simply read the account. What did God respond to? How did he respond to wicked mankind? He, know, he, he saw the wicked mankind. He found a righteous man named Noah. But then he has a judgment upon the earth. His response is in verse 6 and 7, and then we'll skip down to verse number 13. Let's read that together. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. It grieved his heart that he had made mankind. You and I, we have a pretty good self-image about ourselves. But as mankind, it grieved God to create us because of wickedness. Verse 13, And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, if you ever got bad news, and you haven't heard the rest of the story, all Noah heard from God in the beginning was, I'm going to destroy the earth. But, but what, what about me? He doesn't see that here yet. Could you imagine what's going through Noah's mind? Let's humanize him for a few moments. He's a man. Now, at this particular time in the earth, if you read the Old Testament accounts, people lived a long, 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 long time. After the flood of the earth, which we'll talk about in a few minutes' time again, then people started living less and less, and now we have the, what we live today. But at that time, Noah was 500 years old. He had other family members that lived well over 900 years old. Could you imagine 
Yes, you have to work for 30, 40 years, and then you get to retire. No, it's like you work for like 400 years, and you get to retire. But that's what the Bible records. People lived a long time. Noah was 500 years old, and he hears that God was grieved. But through that, he doesn't end there and say, I'm going to destroy the earth. He says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We see God's grace. That word favor is exactly the same word as the word grace. And a simple working definition that we've used for the series of of grace is God's undeserved favor upon you and I. That's grace. We don't deserve it. And therefore, Noah himself was not a perfect man, but he found grace in the eyes of the Lord, his undeserved favor. Help comes from God. In the wickedness of that world, God says, judgment's going to come, I'm going to destroy the world. But we can find help from God through His grace. We also see in this passage, God can be trusted. Using Psalm 25 again, it says this, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore He instructs sinners in the way and leads the humble in what is right and touches the humble his way and sorry teaches the humble his way verse 10 all the paths of the lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies god can be trusted and through that we see that first of all we need to walk with god and walking with god is really the the daily going not just through the motions, but daily relationship with God, that I am walking alongside this life, not by myself, I'm walking with you. We talked about being protected by God. That's the the point of this entire message. How can we find protection with God? It comes down to trusting in Him and walking with Him. Noah walked with God, it says in verse number 9. How did he become righteous? Is by walking with God. How did he find favor with God? It was by walking with God. The life of faith begins with one step, and the Bible is filled with illustrations and and visual illustrations like walking. Noah may or may not have physically walked with God, but every day we can see the illustration of, I'm going to take another step. I'm going to take another step with you, God. I'm going to take five steps today with you, God. And I think the day that God came to Noah and said, I'm going to destroy the earth, was a day that he took a leap with God. But walking with God, in this passage, we see on the screen a number of different places in the book of Galatians and also the book of Ephesians in the New Testament where we see the term walk. We're challenged to walk in love in Ephesians 5.2. Ephesians 5.8 says we should walk as children of life. In fact, that verse says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We're challenged to walk in the Spirit in the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians gives us the account of the fruit of the Spirit, being love, joy, peace. And it goes and gives us the list there, and it says there, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We're also challenged back to... Ephesians chapter number 5, verse 15, we're challenged to walk purposefully. It says, look carefully when you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. 
And what that passage is talking about there, the, the King James uses the word circumspectly. In other words, purposefully. Walk focused upon only one thing. I walk in a straight line. I, I, I must say I've been walking for a number of years. And I, I know how to walk in a, in a fairly straight line. But if you ever tried to walk in a straight line by while looking somewhere else, I'm always amazed at the soldiers that can turn their head and march in a perfectly straight line in, in formation. I have a hard time clapping and singing at the same time. But you turn your head and try to walk on a straight line, you end up basically wherever you look. You end up following that path. Here, walking circumspectly is walking focused upon the things of God. God, I'm focused upon you, and I'm going to follow you, not wavering either way. I'm only going to focus upon you. And I believe those are the sort of attributes that Noah was living out. He says they're to live for God. Now, God had a solution for Noah's family. He had a solution. I'm going to destroy the earth, but I'm going to spare you and your family and a remnant of the animals. And he goes and gives... Noah, some definite plans. Now, I don't believe that we have exactly the plans. I think God gave Noah a lot more instruction than what we read here. Because you don't build a 137-meter-long boat with just saying, go build a boat. And he goes, what's a boat? I think God gave him a lot more instruction and walked with him through the entire process. But we see this. We're going to read verses 14 through 22 of God's plan for saving mankind. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. We've since found out that gopher wood is a very hard wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. And this is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits. 300 cubits is 137 meters. The breadth is 50 cubits. 50 cubits, just, just out of information. Interestingly, I'm exactly a cubit. A cubit goes from the tip of your finger to the, your elbow. And in historical Jewish times, it was 45 centimeters or 18 inches. And somehow, a little bit of pride on my part, I measured and I'm exactly 45 centimeters. So obviously, perfect human proportions. <laughs> but, and, but that was a general measurement. So you would measure four uh, cubits. So he measured 300 cubits, and that was the length. And then he had 50 cubits um, uh, wide, which is about 30, uh, 23 meters. And then, continue on, it says, make the roof of the ark height 30 cubits. That's on 13 meters high. So make the roof of the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set a door of the ark on the side. Notice they say just one door. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you, and every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark, to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kind, and of the animals according to their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come with you to you to keep them alive. Verse 21. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. 
it shall serve as food for you and for them. And verse 22, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Stop and think for a moment. Remember earlier I said humanize Noah? He's never talked to God before. And God comes to Noah and says, the world is evil and corrupt and I'm going to destroy the world. He goes, I'm going to die? And then he says, but I'm going to save you and your family and you're going to have to go out and build a huge boat called an ark. Now there's no historical evidence or or scientific evidence the fact that the earth rained before then. There's some, uh, some things we'll talk about in a few moments. But what we do understand is we don't have no accounts of anyone ever building a boat before this. So you think about what's going through Noah's mind. All these things, and probably one of the real practical things he's thinking to himself as he walks back home that first day, how am I going to tell Mrs. Noah (laughs) what I just experienced? Our life forever is going to be different. We're never going to be the same anymore. This is true living for God. Noah only had enough time to go and to build the ark. Later on, we find out that when Noah was finished building the ark, God said, okay, boom, the flood's coming. He only had just enough time to be obedient to God in his daily life and living for God. There's some resources for you. I have them on the screen for you. There's a, couple of, there's a number of different organizations. but There's a couple that I think are, are very helpful. One is called Answers in Genesis. Answers in Genesis is an organization that uh, has a website there, but they answer the really difficult questions that people ask, like simple things, like who did Cain and Abel marry? Because they they had children. who Who did these people marry? What happened here? Explain the flood. And what they do is they don't go back and simply say, well, because the Bible says so, therefore we believe it, which is good enough for me. What they do is they go back with scientists and they, and they talk to scientists and they make rational, scientific explanations for things that have happened. And this one organization, Answers in Genesis, actually built a life-size ark. There's some really incredible resources, and I believe we have a rational faith that is backed up with tr- the truth of the Word of God, but also backed up with science if we are Just take the time to look at it. There's some resources there. So we've seen help comes from God. In difficult times when you feel like you're all alone, the help comes from God himself. We also see that God can be trusted. Noah had only the opportunity to trust in God. I want to stop just for a moment and think about that. With only trusting in God, in your life, Every single week, we have opportunity to trust in yourself, trust in others, and then trust in God. And I believe that when we only trust in ourselves, we will fail. When we trust in others, people will let you down. And I, I mean this in, a, in a, not just a humble way, but a very sincere way. If you're tr- only relying upon myself or Duane or this church for your biblical teaching, I believe we will someday not intentionally, but we're going to fail you. We're going to mess up somewhere, or we're going to say something wrong. We're going to offend you. You need to get back to, maybe even today, you're going to get back to the Word of God and allow the Word of God to be your teacher and trust in the, the things that God says and then back that up with what you learn at church on Sundays. In other words, be a self-learner. 
God can be trusted. And Noah certainly understood that. In his world, everyone else around him was corrupt. Another passage in the Bible, talks about, in the book of 2 Peter, describes Noah as a preacher of the Word of God. And we take that to understand that through his time of building, that he used the next, well, the, from the time that God said that he was going to destroy the earth to the, the flood actually happening was 120 years. We don't know exactly how long it took Noah to build the ark. Some people estimate up to 70 or so years to, to build the ark. But through that time, we know that he proclaimed the word of God. And no one listened. He had to trust in God completely to provide for him, to give him the resources, to give him the ability to fulfill his plan in his life. But we find third is the good news, is that trusting God brings victory in our life. That's where we find true victory. It's not relying upon ourselves, but truly trusting in God. We see that in the life of David. David in Psalm 25 says, My enemies are all around me. I have to trust in you, God. And in verse number 15, he says this, My eyes are ever toward the Lord. In other words, I'm trusting in God. I'm only focusing upon Him. For He will pluck my feet out of the net. I've been entangled, I've been ensnared, but he's going to pull me out of the net. That's where victory comes from. Through this account with Noah, Noah builds the ark. He and his sons, they, they build it together. Um, I've, I've done some reading this week, and they've, um, some people have estimated that possibly he had other people helping him build the ark that did not believe, in a sense, subcontractors along the way, that we don't know how exactly the, the ark was built. We do know that Noah and his sons were in, incredibly involved in every aspect of it. And God was working in them and through them. And, in, and God saw when they were done. In Genesis 7, verses 1 and verse 5 says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. And verse 5, Noah did something he did earlier. Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. God saw. In other words, God didn't just say, Noah, you go and build the ark, I'll see you later. God was there watching along the way, watching Noah every step of the way. You and I today, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, Jesus promised, and I've, I believe it, that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit, the God Himself living inside of us, guiding us and directing us, instructing us and convicting us when we do wrong, so that every step of the way, God is seeing what you and I are doing. God also He's the one that closed the door. In verse 16 it says, And the Lord shut him in. That everything complete, that all the animals in the ark, the food supplies that they needed, and then it was God that shut the door. He's the one that said, You're finished. Then the flood takes place. The Bible says that the rains came down and um, some scientists, and, they, and they, they surmise that the world had a, 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 they call the firmament around the earth, was a layer of, of liquid, and so therefore the, the, the earth was quite different at that time. Some people surmise that. To be honest, I don't know for a fact. 
was just surmising because that, that it says the heavens came down and it rained from heavens and the, the waters of the deep burst forward. And the, I believe that's where we get our fossils today from, those great canyons. You look at the Grand Canyon in the United States. It's absolutely incredible. I've seen images of it. Then I went to visit it for myself. And you look at it and you go, it just keeps on going. It's huge. And it, you see the different layers of sediment that have been put in place there. I believe it was the flood that took place, that God did it in a short time. The waters from the deep depths of the earth came forward and burst. The center of Australia, there's, there's signs of an inland sea that are there. There's fossil records that are there. You think, well, how there's an ocean and a sea and living things happening? The world was upside down and moved around during that period of time. That's why I pointed you to those resources, because there's a lot of information there. You look at it and you think, that's just amazing. God remembers through that. In Genesis 8, 1. But God remembered Noah and the beast and the livestock and that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Through that, we see it rained for 150 days and then basically they spent almost an entire year sitting on the ark. Now through that, we don't see a daily conversation with God and Noah. We don't, it's not recorded there, so we're not going to surmise that happened. If anything, we're going to take the understanding that God simply said, do this, and then when he was done, he came back and said, here you are, you're done now. And then he came back and said, okay, I'm going to shut the doors now. And then later on said, okay, you're done, you're done. go out into the rest of the world. And you look at that, and those great time periods in the middle. And through that, we often can come to the understanding or the feeling that isn't necessarily true. The feeling is, God, you haven't talked to me in the last four minutes. Where are you? You haven't talked to me in the last week. And maybe God's saying to you, I told you to do something way back here. You haven't forgotten what I told you. I'm just waiting on you to be simply be obedient to what I've already told you to do. And when you're done with that, then I'll come back and I'll give you some more information. Oftentimes in my world, and maybe you're somewhat like me, if it takes like more than four seconds for something to load on my phone or my computer, I'm like, come on, <laughs> slow internet. Because we want instant answers all the time. And God says, I want obedience from you, but he hasn't forgotten and finally, we see God's promises. And the God's promises are the good news. Every time you see a rainbow, I believe that image has been stolen by certain aspects of our society. We need to take that and claim that back for the promises of God and what He's done in our lives. Every time you see a rainbow, you think about the wonderful grace of God. When we had wicked mankind that did not deserve God's grace, He came along and saved one family so that you and I can have life today. It says in verse, chapter number 9, verses 13 through 15, it says this, I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Notice that was me and the earth. This is a covenant for you and me. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. We've had floods. 
But he says there, I'm going to promise I'm never going to destroy the earth by flood ever again. And every time you see a rainbow in the sky, it can remind you of God's grace and promise of his love for us. When we began this message, we started with the principle that when I live for God, I can trust in his protection. In our life groups, we're going to walk through this a little bit and talk about walking and more applications. If you're not part of a life group, let me encourage you. There's some information on the welcome table and get involved in a life group. You can connect with other people and we get, get deeper into the application of Sunday's messages. But also with that, we need to take just a moment and think through, God, am I really relying upon you? I have two questions for you, and then we'll close. Questions are this. Stop and think. You've kind of heard that theme today. Stop and think. Upon whom do you trust? Now, in your church right now, the right answer is Jesus. Okay, that's, that's the right answer. But when you are faced with a difficulty, who do you really trust on? Do you go back and go, I need to handle this by myself, or how am, I, how am I going to handle this? Or is the first response in times of difficulty, God, you're going to have to do something here. God, what do you want me to do? Let me challenge you just this week that when you're faced with difficulties, faced with uncertainties, or faced with something that you know that you regardless whether you can handle it on your own or not, that you need to turn to God with. Quickly turn to God and say, God, I need your help here. In other words, pray to God all the time. The other question we have is this. In what ways is God asking you to trust him? I believe that God has a plan and a purpose for every single person on earth. And he has a plan and purpose for you. And he is asking you to do something even now. You may or may not be obedient to it yet. But what is God asking you to do? I'm going to challenge you in just a moment when we pray. I want you to, to say, God, I want to trust in you. I want you to pray that. God, I want to place my trust upon you. If you are yet to place your trust upon Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, in other words, you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and this is maybe new to you, why don't you... Find me. I will not hide. Find someone else, and we'll connect you, and we'll show you out of the Word of God how you can begin a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Because God is asking you to do something. We need to simply trust upon Him for His protection.